This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. It's the 135th edition of Play by Playcast. Thanks as always for the subscribe, the stream, the download, however you found us, and a rating or review always goes a long way to help spread the word about the podcast. If you can head to iTunes, throw a couple of stars our way, jot down a line uh, about what you like about the podcast, that would always be greatly appreciated as well. My name, of course, is Joel Godet. This is the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters, hosted by one. It's a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. Our guest today is Anne-Marie Anderson, who works a lot with Pac-12 Network, is the voice of the Las Vegas Aces of the WNBA, uh, previously has worked for uh, The Mountain and ESPN, and not always in an on-air capacity, let alone a play-by-play capacity. And that's why I'm really excited to uh, have this conversation with Anne-Marie today. She started, well, first off, we want to go way back, uh, Anne-Marie played volleyball in college at Hofstra, which happens to have a really good journalism school as well. Um, was really good at Hofstra, really like top 10 and a whole bunch of statistics, uh, but graduated from Hofstra and uh, eventually wound up at ESPN in a behind-the-scenes role as a production assistant uh, in various different capacities. I think, I don't want to say most notably, I don't want to speak for her, but like on the surface, most notably uh, won a couple of Emmys uh, as a producer on SportsCenter and continued to push herself throughout her career from one role to the next, to the next, to the next, where eventually her next challenge was getting in front of the camera. And then once she was in front of the camera, pushing herself to the next level and the next level and the next level until she eventually became an analyst and then became a play-by-play voice, uh, first for Olympic sports and then uh, eventually into basketball um, and so on down the line. It's a really unique path and perspective that just falls in line with what we say so many times. There is no one way to get to where you get to in this business and in this industry. Um, But her path, I think, um, is exciting to explore because of the perspectives that it gives her. And uh, that's where we start today with Anne-Marie Anderson. How is her perspective different? Because so many times we just talk to play-by-play broadcasters who maybe had different roles, but a lot of the time it was just like a different broadcasting role. You know, before doing play-by-play, we've had guests that were television reporters or I remember Rich Hollenberg was was doing uh, like home shopping network uh, type things before he got into... Uh, big time play-by-play. There have been a lot of interesting stories, but to have someone who was so entrenched as a producer on the highest of levels, I think that's a really interesting place to start our conversation this week with Anne-Marie Anderson on episode number 135 of Play-By-Playcast. 
Yeah, it's been helpful to me. Um, for background, I started uh, at ESPN as a temporary production assistant. Six-month job that I held on to for 23 years, really. Um, <laughs> I just kept moving through different positions uh, from temporary production assistant to full-time production assistant to associate producer to assignment editor to field producer to feature producer. Um, and then decided to make the move in front of the camera and did so through sideline reporting, as many people do. Um, football sideline reporting, did a little bit of features. And I, I held on doing both for a while. I would produce during the week and then be a sideline reporter on the weekend. And uh, I remember my boss telling me, You'll, you're never going to be able to really thrive in an on-camera role until you let go of the producing and dive in, which was scary for me because I had gotten fairly accomplished as a producer. And I knew I had a long way and still honestly have a long way to go in terms of on air because I don't think it's ever a finished product. So when I'm doing a game now, um, I I feel like my background gives me a, a good vantage point in terms of what's reasonable to ask and what's not. You know, I'm very conscious of the producers, especially in terms of um, my requests for graphics, for video, for information and giving them proper timelines for it. Um, I, you know, got a note from our, our graphics operator for this weekend's game with a really nice set of graphics early on for this week. And I recognize that for him, he's preparing earlier than he needed to, to make sure that we're successful. The, the on-camera talent are successful. And I appreciate that. So I feel like I really take notice of when people go the extra mile and I try to be conscious of, of what is and isn't possible. What do what what are like best practices from your vantage point in terms of working with a crew? Um, even beyond that, and I guess from a like from a production chair, like what do you want to hear from a play by play announcer? What when we all have those conversations where we sit down and go, okay, so what do we want to do? Uh, what do you want to hear back on the other end of that? And then how do you approach that nowadays uh, on a play by play side too to to sit down and say, okay, this is how I think we can creatively. Um, or uniquely or just best tell the story of what we're going to talk about for two hours? Well, from a producer, I really appreciate when there's some preparation done from that side. And it's not just the same old, here's the way that we've always done it. And here's the way we're going to do it. Um, I feel like we've got a few producers who do that really well, who look at the particular matchup and say, I have some ideas. A lot of times people don't add in the ideas there because they just feel like I've always done it this way. And, and um, so I, I like to hear a producer say, Hey, I noticed that the assist to turnover ratio is pretty intense, you know, with this team and, and it's pretty successful here and let's focus our open in that direction. Um, so I'd like to hear that feedback back towards me in that way. When I am going the other way, when I'm watching a game, I think that's what you're asking to a degree too, in terms of what I want to hear from a play by play announcer or the way I think of my role, I think of it as a bit, get out of the way. Um, the game dictates the story. You know, I did a game recently with Bill Walton and <laughs> I was very aware that, you know, Bill brings a very different element than most of the partners that I have. And that if the game wasn't close, then you really need to just stay out of the way of let Bill be Bill and come and come back to the game when need be. 
if it was going to be close, then I'd have to be more active in terms of redirecting to the action. And, uh, and of course, Bill's a pro. I mean, he knows exactly what he's doing. I think some people think that, you know, oh, he's just so wild out there. He's got 27 pages of notes and he'll come back to the game when he needs to. But he also understands he's an entertainer. How'd that go? Uh, what, what was that experience like for you? It was fun. Uh, you know, I wished that my father could see it. My father's passed away and my father was a big Bill Walton fan. And that's one of the things when I got the assignment, you know, I called, I have four brothers and I sent out a group text to my brothers and said, you know, I wish dad was here for this so he could hear this um, because, you know, he's a legend and I followed his career. And when I was a producer, I, I can remember kind of crossing paths with people who worked with him. The first thing I did when I got the assignment was, you know, I reached out to a few different people and I talked to Roxy Bernstein. I talked to Ted Robinson. I exchanged notes with Jay Billis um, just to make sure that I knew what their experience was and how Bill best liked to work. And um, Bill was terrific. I mean, he called me to tell me that he wasn't going to talk to me. He called me and said, Hey, so, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to working with you, and I do not talk to my partners before we go on the air. And That's I wanted you to know that. Yeah, I'd never had anybody do that before. And he said, you know, because usually there's a lot of co- collaboration beforehand, and said, I-, I wanted you to know that so that you know that it isn't, you know, against you or anything different with you. This is the way I always work. And, and of course, Ted and Roxy, who've done many games with him, before told me exactly that same thing. He told you that he doesn't talk beforehand, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. He told me. Um, And it was great. And he was gracious. I, I feel like there was a, an article in the LA times and they interviewed me for that as well. And it was interesting to hear from a viewer's perspective, because they felt like maybe sometimes the play by play announcer is fighting with bill or struggling to gain control of the broadcast, but that isn't the way that it is at well. First of all, I think you would lose if you tried to do that with Bill Walton um, because, you know, he's an entertainer. So I was well prepared that part of the way that he tells the game, part of the reason that people enjoy him and even the people that criticize him is because he's so entertaining and engaging. So I knew that it wasn't going to be a, like a typical broadcast. And I ended up just enjoying it immensely. Is there like, do, do you almost, in some respects, I feel like I would feel naked sometimes doing that with him, just from the standpoint of not knowing what's going to come my way. Like I, I was watching he and Pash last week, I think, and um, he started, like the first words out of Bill's mouth were, uh, this game is being played in January, which of course is named for the Greek god Janus. And I'm like, where, like, <laughs> where am I supposed to go with that? Uh, how did you prepare differently for that just to like know that anything could come your way and you've got to roll with it? Or is that the fun of it? That is the fun of it. But also I did do some extra note taking that I wouldn't have done. And of course you have no idea which way it's going to go. I, I knew that there were some uh, connections between an assistant coach and Australia's basketball league. So I kind of dove into Australia's youth basketball system, which I would never <laughs> normally do for a men's basketball game. I, I made sure I was prepared there. I, of course, got a Grateful Dead, Dead playlist and uh, and looked through that a bit so I knew what Bill was talking about. And still, when he went on a tangent about uh, Swedish exports, <laughs> I – just looked at him and I, I, you know, you, you make fun of it though. I mean, when you're on air, you say, Bill, 
look at all these notes I have. I have pages and pages, and yet I have nothing on Swedish exports. How did I miss it? You know, um, but I don't think he expects you to know it all, and and neither does the viewer because the viewer's right with you, saying, "What? How is he? How is he getting there?" Um, but he, you know, prepares that way, and then once in a while, you can offer something up that Bill doesn't know, and that truly energizes him. He loves that. And, uh, and that was fun when he said, I wonder how that happened. And it happened to be a question that I knew the answer to. And, uh, you could just see him take a mental note. That's something that he'll put in his massive library of information. It's like the ultimate victory. I feel like, yeah, it just happened. It happened to be why there were Christmas lights on these particular frat houses at UCLA. Like it was nothing uh, so deep, but I had actually heard the story before, and he was like, "Wow, I had no idea." <laughs> I feel like that would be up his alley, but uh, uh, I, I've read too that you you wanted play by play eventually, um, or I guess you wanted to be in front of the camera eventually because you always kept wanting to challenge yourself. Um, yes. Why was that the avenue that the challenge took you in terms of like, why was that the obvious next step as you worked through television? And, and then how did play by play become the obvious next step of this is where I want to challenge myself? Really nice questions. I, I felt like in play by play, I'd never be done. I would never, I mean, certainly you can never be done in producing either. Um, but I felt when I, when I first moved on camera and I was sideline reporting, you have maybe 25 seconds for a hit um, four times during a game, five times uh, during a game. And that, that was a great way for me to start and get comfortable. But I wanted to get um, a bigger handprint on or bigger footprint, maybe is the right word, on a broadcast. And um, I felt like play-by-play opportunities were going to keep growing where sideline opportunities might not. And um, so I went in the play-by-play direction for that reason and then started kind of expanding sports. I mean, really, in play-by-play, you can keep expanding as much as you'd like. Just keep adding in sports, keep adding in leagues. Um, There's so many different partners that I'll have. I love uh, all the different partners I have and the way that I need to adjust to each partner. I consider it my my job to adjust to them and showcase them the best I can. If my partner is somebody who, you know, uh, didn't play at a high level but was, let's say, a writer and played a little bit, then I would really draw on their storytelling experience. The other day I did a game with Leisha Clarendon, who's a WNBA All-Star and played for Cal women's basketball. And so I said to her beforehand, look, I want to get really technical with you because maybe that's where her, her strength lies. Um, it's never the same. And I really enjoy that. And so I felt like with play by play, I would, I would, I could spend the rest of my career getting better and having a new experience almost on every broadcast. That's interesting. I've never thought about it in terms of how you play to a particular analyst strengths. That's an interesting way to and like, how do you, how will you tailor yourself differently if you're with Leisure Clarendon versus with someone who, like you mentioned, maybe has more of a writing background and, and work towards storytelling? Uh, what changes about your approach and how you handle things? It's so different. And, and for me, that is the primary way. So Leisure, for example, um, is new to television three years in. But for basketball, if she and I are just sitting and talking, before the game, whatever, she'll be speaking very specifically about what she needs to see if she were the coach or what 
what she's looking at. And so I'll make notes for Lasia, a, a note between us usually that'll say, you know, here's the storylines we want to hit, uh, perhaps. Or in this game, we this game we actually didn't need to because we talked about it so much beforehand. And I'll make sure to use more what needs to happen now. How do they change that? Um, what would you do in this situation? Because she's still very current as a player playing in the WNBA. So I feel like that's relevant. If I've got somebody who's further away from their playing career uh, or maybe was a writer, I would talk to them a little bit more about maybe historically we've seen, you know, point guards do this. How do you think that affects here? I mean, you just you just go to whatever their strength is. If I'm working with and again, I've got women's basketball on the brain right now. Um, if I'm working with Mary Murphy, who is an, was an accomplished coach, both in college and the WNBA, um, I'd love working with Mary too, because then I'll ask her, okay, Mary, I, I realize you're not in the huddle in this situation, but if you were, what would you draw up? What would your message be? And I would never ask that if to, of a writer, you know, or of even a player, what they would, uh, what they would message to the team necessarily. But if I have a coach, you need to be asking from a coach's vantage point, you know, what kinds of adjustments would you ask your team to make? And that's why for me, it never really gets old because I have to be thinking about my partner and where I think their strengths lie um, and what interests them to talk about. If, if I can bring in the sideline aspect of it too, and you mentioned the fact that like when you're doing that, you've got 25 seconds to tell a story. Um, how did maybe that, I mean, that probably should be an experience we all go through as play-by-play people to, mm-hmm. to, how did that teach you how to tell a concise story in the flow of a game um, and, and be able to, uh, you know, we just talked about being able to shine an analyst, being able to, to pull it out and say like, this is going to be my 25 seconds while also, putting it in the grand scheme of, you know, working with a partner and making it all run smoothly? Well, I'll tell you, the first thing it taught me was how to uh, work with my sideline reporter. I'm very conscious about that. Before I answer your other question, I'm very conscious about talking with them ahead of time, finding out what hits they hope to get in. Um, Occasionally I'd have to say, well, I I don't think I'm going to be able to hold off on that story until we get to you because it's so primary, we're going to, you know, talk about it earlier in the broadcast. Hmm. But if you want to save this or this nugget, I'll make sure that when we get to you, I will say, well, earlier, you know, let's use Leja again. Since Leja and I were talking about that, uh, this particular story, but Katie Wingy has more on it, Katie, you know, and then Katie can follow up. So I'm very, I'm very conscious of using the sideline reporter as part of the broadcast. Nothing annoys me more. And as a viewer, certainly as a sideline reporter, then a sideline reporter finishing a hit and the play-by-play saying, anyway, I'm going on the broadcast. (laughs) And it happens all the time. Um, So that's the first thing it taught me. In terms of telling a story, I try not to tell too many stories as a play-by-play announcer. I try, if there's a story that we know, I try to split it basically with the analyst. Uh, You know, coach told us that, their practices this week were a different focus and then let the analyst continue that story. Um, I I think to be a good play-by-play announcer, you really need to be a a good verbal dancer 
And it just can't be about you. If you're trying to show how much you know and how, you know, how much you've retained information, then you're missing the point. And, you know, you're always going to have the ball back, if you will, as a play-by-play announcer. So you're not going to get boxed out of talking. So work with your analysts. Just set up, set up, set them up, 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 and let them shine and then, you know, move on to the next point or play. It's very true. There's a lot of truth in that, actually. Um, I like that way of thinking about it. Um, what's hardest about play-by-play to you? The travel. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Holy cow, the travel. Um, what's hardest about play-by-play? A blowout. Uh, yeah. When the game's not close and you want to keep it interesting, um, you better have enough stories in your pocket. What is also challenging, I feel like, is when you have some terrific stories you really want to get in, but the game is great. You've got to put it aside. It's, if it's not appropriate for this game, it's not appropriate for this game. A lot of it is is making sure that the game comes before you and and sharing your stories or your nuggets. I had some good stuff the other day, UCLA, Stanford, that I didn't use because the game was terrific. And so I was like, Note to self, it's on my board for next time I have UCLA and Stanford because it was specific to those two schools together. Um, or, you know, move on. But I think the most challenging thing is finding the right opportunities for your stories or your um, antidotes and knowing that if it doesn't fit, don't force it. You also said you're never a finished product in this business. Um, never. How much do you watch your stuff back still? And uh, and what do you watch for nowadays? Right. So I also remember being very young. I was probably, I don't know, 22 or something. And I was working on SportsCenter as an associate producer, I think. And after the 11 p.m. SportsCenter show, seeing Dan Patrick uh, sit at his desk and watch SportsCenter over after he had just done it. And I you know, asked him why he was watching himself. And I remember him saying like, you're, you're just never going to get any better unless you watch yourself. And that stuck with me because I think everybody, when they first hear themselves and, and really when you continue on, it's weird to hear your own voice and um, it's not very pleasant to hear yourself. So you have to work past that. First of all, it never really gets that comfortable. Um, When I watch, I, watch to make sure or to assess, I should say, um, whether I talk too much, whether I set my analyst up well, whether I let it breathe, whether I was making points that were salient to the moment. Um, I always have to watch for whether or not my voice is too shrill or uh, too high. I have trouble with that sometimes. I have to work on my breathing to make sure, especially when I do as many games as I do, my voice can kind of tend to go. Uh, there's a lot of little little things. And then sometimes when I'm working with a new partner consistently, I was working with Risha Brown this summer who played in the WNBA, and uh, she and I were partnered up for the Las Vegas Aces all summer. We had 16 home games together, and she was new to television. I would send her clips and say, you know, do you hear this? I, I think, you know, here was an opportunity we missed where we got stuck on a story and 
there was something different going on and we needed to drop it and move on. Or do you hear this? You know, I, I thought this one we handled really well. There's good excitement in our voices. And then afterwards we let the crowd roar. You know, we would kind of, and Rusha was really receptive. And so we'd talk back and forth about, we were pleased about this. We could do this part better. Um, she was very focused. She's an excellent partner who was really interested in using those 16 games for both of us to improve as a team. I want to ask you about the Aces, too, actually, um, just because it's different than what you do with any other outlet that you would work with because it's it's the same team, at least on one side, every time you're doing mm-hmm. it. Um, yep. And how your approach changes in terms of telling that story, telling the evolving story, while at the same time, in game eight, maybe you want to revisit something about a particular person that you did in game one because of a new audience. Or maybe not, how you balance those. For sure you do, because I, I, I never assume people are, are seeing the game twice. I mean, certainly the preparation for the Aces is different. In a way, it's easier, right, because you know the players. I don't, I don't need my board for anything in terms of, you know, uh, height, background, years, history, none of that. Um, at the same time, the Aces can be more challenging when you have the same team over and over because you want to keep pushing deeper and deeper and deeper each time. Um, and I absolutely don't stay away from shy away from telling the same story eight games later. However, it's rarely the same, right? Because now there's added layers on it. I'm thinking about Kelsey Plum, uh, who played for the aces and it was her second year in the pros. And she had a bit of a rougher first year, at least in her eyes, um, in terms of expectations and what she was able to do. And in the second year, she came back from Turkey and immediately jumped in to the WNBA with little or no rest. The team was still coming together. She was trying to find her way. Well, eight games later, she had settled into the system in a completely different role than she had had the year prior or even when she came back. So I can still be telling a story, but I can add in layers of my conversations with Bill Lambier about Plum, my conversations with Plum, and then my observations with my partner about how she has kind of assimilated into a new role, relaxed into it, and how it's serving the team. It's always advancing, building yeah, off. Always of, advancing. Yeah. Um, I know I've got to let you go uh, to, uh, to to talk to some coaches, but I wanted to, uh, to wrap up on uh, one note, if I can revisit a question uh, two prior, uh, you talked about Dan Patrick and uh, being able to pick his brain when you worked on SportsCenter. Uh, being able to be in that environment, uh, particularly at a young age in this industry, um, are there other, and this is like really broad, but are there other things or other interactions um, or other nuggets that you took from being around those types of people that still stick with you? Um, to this day and that, that still have helped you or been in, most impressed upon you? Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, you, you mentioned at the beginning that my path to on-camera and to play-by-play was different. Some people just come right out of school and go straight on camera, and that's one way to do it. There's no real way to do it. You know, everybody does it a little bit differently, but that's more typical that they go straight on camera. I had 10 years behind the camera first, and um, – God, it was so valuable. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is Andrea Kramer, who's now in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, um, and the preparation that she did. You know, when I was a young producer and we were working on the NFL, it crushed me. 
I just wasn't used to that level of intensity. And I just remember being like, wow, seriously, we need to go this deep. And Andrea is a great friend of mine uh, now because she taught me how to do the work. And I was just thinking, I, I really love the preparation. And in part, it's because I, I learned from some terrific professionals how to prepare. When you know, ESPN brought me in to do a, a play-by-play audition, they had me do an NFL game to do it, uh, uh, not for air, an NFL game there with Jesse Palmer as my analyst as they were kind of evaluating. And, you know, Chris Fowler uh, sent me his board and said, here's how I set up my board. And here's, you know, the way that I do things. I mean, I'm able to draw on such incredible, you know, professionals. As soon as Jay Billis heard that I was working with Bill Walton, you know, he reached out and said, you need, you know, a parachute, a Grateful Dead playlist and whatever, just to get through the open. Um, <laughs> you know, Shelly Smith um, is just been so inspirational to me and a very close friend in terms of reinventing herself. She perhaps has had, you know, the greatest influence on me because I, you know, wrote for ESPN, the magazine a little bit too. I wrote for ESPN.com. I mentioned all those positions I had behind the camera. I told you I did some features. I did uh, some sideline reporting. I did play by play. I just knew that I wanted to keep and reinventing myself to have my tentacles reaching in as many different directions as possible so that I would always be useful, relevant, valuable to whatever network. And I've watched Shelly Smith just keep creating herself, keep um, being a, a real investigative journalist. When we first started working together in 1994, I remember thinking, how does she get these people to talk? How does she do that? And through the benefit of traveling with her for 15 years, um, I got to watch a pro in the way that she wrote and the way that she would free flow. I mean, there's, I, there's so many professionals. I'll give you one more. So you've got me really going on that. Because <laughs> well, in talking with Bill Walton, how does Shirley get people to do that? <laughs> Is there... She's genuine. Yeah. She's genuinely yeah. curious. She's genuinely curious. She, she means it. You know, she's interested. It's never with malice. It's never about her. Um, it's the intent is because she really wants to know that's why. And when you, when somebody, when you feel that somebody really is interested and wants to know, yeah, then you'll tell that story. You know, when I got the Bill Walton assignment, I was trying to think like, what is that? How can I draw my past experiences? And I was thinking, okay, well, like many people through ESPN, I produced uh, Chris Berman's two minute drill. Sometimes that would be my assignment when I was a young producer and I never got it under like three minutes and 30 seconds, <laughs> but it was supposed to be two minutes. I've always wondered about but, that. Yeah, but it was boomer, you know, and, and I would say, well, you know, you're every, he's gone through it with so many different people. And I'd say, but it needs to be, you know, two minutes. And he'd be like, you know, they understand it's me. Like, it's just, it's the entertainment. Or I remember um, working with Dick Vitale at the final four in 1993 in new Orleans, uh, as did a lot of people. And, but at this particular moment, Bill Vitale needed to get him from place A to place B and that's hard to do at the Final Four in New Orleans with all those college fans because Dick Vitale's enthusiasm is genuine, much like Bill's is. And yet I had a job to do to try to navigate him through. And you need to be able to do that gracefully because, you know, 
part of his appeal is his connection with the fans. And I was thinking that with Bill Walton, like you don't want to try to control that show, that broadcast with Bill Walton, because that's part of his appeal and his joy for the game. So I draw on those first 10 years at ESPN constantly, constantly. It just, it, it kind of runs through my veins and I'm so grateful to um, have those years to be able to draw on different experiences in my preparation, in the way that I handle things when they come up on air. Um, and a, a lot of those big names are still really close friends of mine who I talk to um, and occasionally talk a little bit of shop with. Well, and Marie, if people want to find you or track you down on social media or on the air, um, how do they go about doing that? Well, two different ways, really. Uh, for Twitter, it's Ann M. Anderson. Instagram, Anne-Marie Anderson TV. And Facebook, I think it's Anne-Marie Anderson TV also. You know, you lose track after a while. Um, you can find me on it. Uh, Somewhere there's an underscore thrown in probably. I don't know. Uh, well, just the way I things go. So in those, yeah, exactly. I don't <laughs> think so for those. And um, and you know, it's find me on a, a variety of different networks. Uh, this month is a lot of Pac-12 and women's basketball. All right, that's Anne Marie Anderson joining us here on Play by Playcast. I, I I think it's important not to get lost. Uh, one of the very last things we talked about um, too, when it comes to Shelly Smith, and when it comes to getting interviews and speaking to coaches and speaking to players and this is going to sound silly but the importance of actually caring and I think sometimes that gets overlooked as again silly as that sounds sometimes we can get caught up in the prep side of things I need this information because I need to know like I need to have information at my fingertips I'm asking how you guys run your offense because I need to know how you run your offense. But if you actually care, it takes you down an entirely different path. And like, take a step back for a second. Like, really actually care. Not just say like, well, I really want to know how you run your offense. No, I want to know about you. Coach, how do you run your offense? Why? Where'd that come from? Who influenced you? Oh, yeah, how'd you meet that person? Like, genuinely take an interest in who these people are. Uh, your interviews become so much more insightful, connecting. Uh, I think it obviously enriches the broadcast, but it also enriches you as a human being. Uh, so, as silly as it sounds, because it should be obvious, you would think, but who knows, um, actually care when you do preparation and when you do interviews and when you speak to it almost sounds crass to say subjects like your interview subjects but when you, when you speak to people uh, to truly find out who they are um, as individuals and you might never use some of that information on the air but it's just valuable I was sitting in Omaha last week, I was doing Creighton and Georgetown women's basketball on CBS Sports Network. And like I sat there with Audrey Faber, who's Creighton's best player, and just said, tell me something nobody knows about you. And she goes, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good cook, which took us down this path of, well, all right, well, what do you make? 
And I had to figure out what pumpkin pumpkin bars were. I didn't know what a pumpkin bar was. So we started talking about, like, pumpkin bars and then her roommates. And does she cook for them? Turns out, no. Uh, she's not like the team chef. She's just a really good cook for herself, which I thought was funny. None of that made air. But you never know, like, where somehow, some way, we could have twisted down a path that might have gotten us there. And I just think it's interesting to get to know athletes differently. So when you take that approach, I think it makes you a better broadcaster. I think it makes you a better human, <laughs> too. And uh, I'm, I'm glad Anne-Marie um, mentioned that and brought that up there uh, toward the end of the conversation. Uh, if you enjoyed the conversation, she told you how to find her on social media. Uh, do please hit her up and let her know. And uh, follow us on social media as well, at PXPCast or me, at J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. You can email me, J-G-O-D-E-T-T at BSU. Dot edu. Until next time, uh, I'm Joel Gadet. By the way, I said Donnie Barnes was going to be our guest. Like, I buried the lead here. Uh, last week, I said Donnie was going to be our guest when I was in Omaha. We were going to sit down and talk. Uh, Donnie under the weather a little bit last week, so we didn't have a chance to get together. Uh, but we will have Donnie Barnes on at some point in the coming weeks. So uh, if you were waiting uh, with with bated breath for the Donnie Barnes conversation uh, that will be coming up at some point. We just didn't have the chance to connect um, while we were both in the same city last week, unfortunately. I uh, hope he's feeling better, um, but that will be coming uh, down the pipeline at some point here uh, soon. That being said, until next time, my name is Joel Gadet. This is Play by Playcast, and we are out. That will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.